Welcome back to a regularly scheduled episode of Platonically Intimate. We are no longer on the beach, unfortunately, but we do have a very interesting episode scheduled for you. I, I agree. I think it is very interesting. So I'm going to hop right into it. We don't have much time for intros these days. True. Um, <laughs> we, we do. <laughs> but Actually, we've been trying to make the episodes shorter. Our goal was never to have them over 30 minutes, and we've gone over a few times. So We've been doing pretty good this season, though, yeah. I think. We're back and better than ever. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to talk about a very interesting person named Franz Liszt. Okay? Franz Liszt was a composer of the Romantic era, and he was also debatably the world's first rock star. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about his life and why people went nuts over him. So Franz Liszt was born on October 22nd, 1811 in Hungary. He's a Hungarian composer, and he listened to his father play the piano when he was six years old. He started learning the piano when he was seven years old. He wow. started composing when he was eight years old. Oh. And he performed his first concert at nine years old. Wow. Once he, again, one of those child prodigies. Yeah, I was going to say, he had to do at least one thing every year, it seemed like. Yeah, wait till you find out when he was ten. Oh, geez. Just kidding. I, I mean, he probably <laughs> did something, but... Right. So, when, when he was concertizing... Um, some wealthy concert goers decided that they needed to support this boy's musical education because he was clearly having something really? going on in his head. That was good. Yeah. And so they wanted to support that. And so he went to Vienna. Vienna is like the place in this time period for music. Oh, okay. Um, and Vienna, Austria. Um, Mozart spent a lot of time there. I believe Beethoven did. I hope. That will be awkward. Um, and a lot of other famous composers did as well. And so, um, one of his first teachers was a man named Carl Tcherny. Okay. okay. Carl Tcherny was a student of Beethoven. Is it Carl with K? No. Oh. Carl with a C. And Tcherny with a CZ. But anyway. Ooh. And so, he learned from Beethoven. He's one of Beethoven's best students. And he also had a teacher in composition named Antonio Salieri. Now, Salieri was also a composer. More from the classical period. Obviously, he's older. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a contemporary of Mozart. There are a lot of rumors. Most of them have been quelled by now, but some people still believe that Salieri killed Mozart. Whoa. Mozart died of a very mysterious sickness when he was like 35, maybe. And a lot of people thought that Salieri killed him. Wow. So anyway, maybe that's another episode. (laughs) So um, after a few years of this, List started touring Europe and performing concerts until he was extremely exhausted when he was about age 19. He was having severe panic attacks and anxiety disorders, um, which in the 1800s, people didn't really know what that was. So he's like, he's sick. Yeah. And so um, people were like, he needs to stop something. Yep. And so he actually considered becoming a priest at this time in his life, but was dissuaded from that. Okay. His father took him to some sea baths in the south of France and his father actually got sick and passed away while Franz was in recovery. Okay. And so now he was missing a parent. He moved to Paris with his mother, started teaching lessons, and then fell in love with one of his students. Now, Whoa. you have to remember this is a different time. Um, True. He was maybe like nine. No, he was not even that old. I think he was like 19, actually, when this okay. happened. Um, he's potentially not much older than this student 
Right. It's also possible for like a 19-year-old to marry a 15-year-old. So it's yeah. not ideal, but it is what it is. However, her father didn't agree with the pairing, and so they were forced to split up. Now, this caused Franz to become sick to the point of death oh. because he was so upset over this relationship ending at the wish of neither of them. Right. Um, and people thought he was going to die. Wow. And actually one newspaper published an obituary for him, causing people to think List had died. Oh my goodness. At which point he told people that he wasn't dead and then tried to become a priest again. <laughs> However, he was once again dissuaded and went back and studied music again. Also, when he was 19 years old, um, he heard someone by the name of Paganini playing violin. Okay. Now, Paganini, cool name. Yeah. And also a cool dude, potentially. He was considered the world's virtuoso virtuosos on the violin. Um, there were, again, this was the 1800s, very serious rumors that he had sold his soul to the devil to become that good at the violin. Nice. Yeah, so people, some people were like, Paganini's awesome. Some people were like, that man is He's terrible. Yeah, a terrible <laughs> person because he sold his soul. Yep. And so List saw and heard Paganini play. And he decided that he was going to be a better pianist than Paganini was a violinist. Oh. And so List started practicing a lot. In 1833, he met a woman named Marie Delgolt, potentially. I'm trying my best. I don't. I couldn't really even figure out what country you. she was from, so I can't guess the pronunciation. Right. <laughs> um, America. They eventually had three kids. Um, that was in 1833. They were estranged by 1839. Okay. And their relationship officially ended in 1844. But during this time, she helped him uh, raise the level of an artist from a servant level-ish person who needs patrons and things like that to a contributing member of society. Oh. And so he was really a, a man that was pushing that forward, and people thought a lot better of musicians as a result of his work. That's nice. Which is very cool. Um, and so he was touring all the time, playing music, and he heard that some people were trying to make a monument to Beethoven, but they didn't have enough money. Okay. And so Franz thinks to himself, what if I invent something called a charity tour? Oh. And so he played six concerts in... Vienna maybe and then went on a tour of Hungary afterward okay. I believe that's it um, and raised money and then got this monument created in Bonn for Beethoven hmm. he went on tour for eight consecutive years this was during like the second half of his time with Marie de Gold yeah. uh, and then extending beyond that that's a long time to be on tour eight years for three to four shows per week resulting in well over 1,000 confirmed shows. That's nonstop. That basically. is nonstop. He would occasionally spend holidays with his children and Marie, yeah. but mostly his children. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, he was on tour for eight straight years. That's ridiculous. And as he was on these tours, remember, at this point, he has become like Paganini-level pianist. Yeah. And so um, he was described by a writer this way because not only was he an incredible musician he was also a very handsome man oh nice here's a quote how powerful how shattering was his mere physical appearance whoa so think of like the sickest rock star of the 70s okay yeah. 
This and, guy is a rock star. Yes. And girls are literally going nuts over him. Yeah. They would steal his handkerchiefs. They would steal his gloves. They would rip them to shreds and sell pieces to people. To say that this used to belong to Lyft. I also, I've heard this, but I couldn't confirm it online. Okay. I heard that there was at least one occurrence that people smashed the piano that he had played in a concert in order to take a piece of it home with them. You know, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility based <laughs> yeah. on what I've heard so far. So, List is ridiculously famous across all of Europe. He's lived in Hungary. He's lived in Paris. I believe he lived in London for a short period. Um, he's traveled a bit, um, toured all of Europe as a concertizer, and uh, eventually lives in Rome for about eight years. Okay. And so a very well-traveled and cosmopolitan person. Yeah. By 1857, basically all of the money he ever earned was just donated straight to charity because he be- had become rich beyond measure. Yeah. What, he what do you need it for? He didn't need any more money. And so... Take um, a note, rich people. Mm-hmm. He started looking for needs. And he would hear about them and create concert charity tours Wow! to provide for these things. He funded music schools and a few other things that were like long-term investments. And then he also would like give students scholarships or things like that. He taught at a few schools, but he refused to accept payment, even if the university was supposed to get money from the students and then he was paid separately. And so he wouldn't let his students pay tuition for his classes. And got in a lot of trouble from the universities with yeah. that as well. And so he retired at the height of his career. Um, retired from touring and right. playing. Um, which further solidified his reputation as the world's best pianist. Because people never saw his decline. Right. Yeah, he was like, I've reached the top. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Almost like Tom Brady the first time he retired. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then he's back. And then he retired again. And he's like, oh, nice job. And anyway. Well, anyways. <laughs> he's back. But... <laughs> He had the chance. So, um, after this, he retired, which I already said, and then considered becoming a priest again. Again? Again. Wow. He actually took uh, the four minor orders of the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, but never became a priest, a full-on priest. Gotcha. And so, um, he was a very uh, religious man, and he did a lot of sacred music as well, which is very ironic considering what we think of as a rock star yes it's not very very catholic extremely different realm (laughs) than catholic church but once again this was in a time where music was highly tied to the church exactly so after all of these things that he did becoming the world's first rock star um he composed about 700 pieces of music throughout his lifetime um he was encouraged by some of the greats and some of his teachers to encourage people to play the greatest music of all time. Music by Beethoven, Bach, Schubert, Berlioz. Well, Berlioz was actually younger than him, I believe. Okay. But um, he helped Berlioz become famous. Right. Um, Wagner and Schumann, he really brought... Also, Wagner was a little bit later as well. He also raised the reputation of musicians in general. Yes. Yep. So he took this music that used to be just old music. People didn't play like classical music. Yeah. They only played new music. And so he went back oh. and found this music and encouraged people to write it. He would take He's orchestral like, music and write it for piano. Oh. And he could say, now you can listen to Mozart's symphony number, whatever, yeah. on just piano. He's like, hey, Beethoven wrote these bangers. Mm-hmm. We should keep playing them. Exactly. And so he also taught um, two, two musicians that he happened to have taught were... Grieg and Debussy, uh, Edvard Grieg and Claude Debussy, who are two of my favorite composers. I was going to say, I 
No, uh, Claude WC. Mm-hmm. Very well. Um, yeah, I did a whole section of Greek music during my senior recital. Oh, um, in college. Yep. He wrote a decently long list of books. He increased the way that people thought of harmony um, and expanded that. He helped create extended harmony in classical music and paved the way for the atonal music of composers such as Schoenberg and Wagner, who I mentioned earlier. Yep. And so after all of this, on July 31st, 1886, he was 70 years old, uh, 75 years old. He passed away from pneumonia um, while at a concert that he was not performing. Okay. And many people consider him to potentially be the greatest pianist of all time. I was going to say, this guy sounds awesome. Yeah. Why, why, why haven't I ever learned about him before? This, this is cool. Yeah, it's interesting. His his music, I would say these days, is not super popular. Exactly. Um, I, people would not list him as one of the greatest composers, I don't think. No. It's one of those things where he did a lot for <laughs> music, mm-hmm. but not necessarily what he himself wrote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he so did his concert tours, all he did was perform the music he had transcribed from the great composers and then also his own music. So people of that day were very familiar with his music. Right. But now they listen to the music that he inspired. Right. And so it's it's kind of a bummer. But That's a bummer. Well, I'm glad that we got to talk about him on this podcast, maybe spread some awareness, if you will, mm-hmm. of like bring back list omania. Yeah. That was actually a term that was in use while while he was concertizing. Really? I forgot to uh to say that, but yeah. They said that women could be struck with listomania. Listomania. That's awesome. It's like Bieber fever. Of... Yeah. Bieber fever of 1835. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But with that, I would like to pass the mic over to you, which is not going to happen because you have your own mic. Right. But, that, would, uh, that would stink if you had one mic. Yeah, it would. Oh, you have a side comment? Here's the Too mic. Too bad. <laughs> um, I think it's time for Fun Facts with Joe. The oldest known sundial was made in 1500 BC. I want to know when the pocket sundial was made. <laughs> and where can I get one of those? Yeah. You think you think it has a compass built into it? Or do you just have to guess have which to. way is north? <laughs> if you want a functional one. <laughs> what time is it? I don't know. It depends on what way I'm standing. <laughs> It's five o'clock somewhere. More like it's five o'clock right wherever here, I wherever am. I want to be. <laughs> All right. Well, you talked about a very interesting person for mm-hmm. your subject. I think it's time we give the people what they want. Yeah. Stop, stop keeping them waiting. Well, let, let's let's talk about the word interesting. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> One of these episodes, we're just going to like play a prank on the other person and just be like, no, episode. I'm not doing that. Episode four was the maybe not episode. Episode six is the maybe episode. (laughs) All right. Well, as usual, I'll start off by reading the definition from Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary 10th edition on page 610. It says, interesting, holding the attention or arousing interest. Once again, a very short definition mm-hmm. because 
once again, we'd like to point out that a lot of words, original meanings are very simple. free. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think a lot of the time, interesting has a positive connotation. I think so. Like, oh, that's very, if you're in a conversation and someone's telling you about like their favorite hobby and they're really getting into it and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That usually means like, oh, that's cool. Or mm-hmm. I like hearing about this. Yeah. I have occasionally heard interesting with a bad connotation, but it's not as common. I don't think so. I think it's usually like, it's usually said almost suspiciously. Yeah. You're like, interesting. interesting. Yeah. I like to use interesting a lot. Um, I'm, I'm literally, literally baffled that we haven't talked about interesting before because I use it in this like context free way a lot. Yes. Because I feel like we've used it in the podcast a lot. Too, I do too. Consequently. Yeah. Just like if I, if I want to say something, but I don't know like how I feel about it yet or like what I actually think if I'm just like sharing some facts that I'm like trying to understand yeah i'll say here's something interesting yeah because because it's like in my head and i'm thinking about it and i like keep coming back to it over the span of i don't know a day or two i'm like clearly this is holding my interest it's holding your interest it has your attention i don't know what about it i don't have anything to say about it maybe yet but it's interesting you don't know whether it's bad or it's good and it it doesn't have to be either Mm -hmm. it's just something that Mm -hmm. is holding your attention I think hearing you say, here's something that's interesting, that should be like a, a, that's like a famous quote, Isaac quote in my brain. I feel like (laughs) that the summer where we first kind of got the concept of like, we should do a podcast sometime Mm -hmm. and we had all those discussions. Mm -hmm. I think half of those discussions started out with like, it was just dead quiet. We were doing something at our summer job Mm -hmm. and you were just like, here's something that's interesting. (laughs) I'm like I don't I don't know where this is going, but I've been thinking about it for like three minutes. So. Yeah, we're about to discuss it for like thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, I I'm a big fan of using interesting in the uh, connotation free way mm. because it's it's very it's very straight to the point. Mm-hmm. If someone says something's interesting and you're not assuming that they're using the connotation free way, you have to play this guessing game of like. Is that is that a good thing? <laughs> yeah. Are you about to say something? Do you something want cool? this to be interesting? Yeah. Someone else comes up to me and says, "Here's something that's interesting." Mm-hmm. I think the way they say it determines a lot about. I think so. What I'm about, to, what I should expect. Mm-hmm. If you come up to me and say, "Here's something that's interesting," I'm just like, "Okay, I'm ready to hear <laughs> something that's going to grab my interest." Yeah. I think that's something interesting that. Wow! I literally just you just it. used it. <laughs> <laughs> about like the power of spoken language though is the way you say the word interesting can mean different things. can mean something totally different if you saw the sentence here's something interesting on paper you don't know what's about to happen right but if you hear someone say here's something interesting it's probably going to be good or if you say here's something interesting you're like i'm about to They're get about the to juiciest gossip of my life yeah <laughs> and so yeah it's very interesting oh my gosh <laughs> it's contagious we're you're not going to stop saying it now mm-hmm. i i hope that all of our listeners start to use that unconsciously now because Me too. Of listening to this they're just like here's something that's interesting and then they stop themselves and they're like 
<laughs> I'm doing it now too. I've been influenced. Yep. We've got you once again. That's right. We're influencers. <laughs> Always have been. Always will be. Well, I I feel like there wasn't a lot to say about interesting other than it's interesting. Mhm. Which was the point. We had a we had a pretty good discussion about that though, I think. I agree. And with that, I would like to not hand my mic over, <laughs> but hand your attention over to Isaac for fun facts with Isaac. So here's something interesting. This is going to be a little bit different than my usual fun fact. Okay. So, but I would like to talk about mean, median, and mode, the three averages. Okay. So the, the mode is the most frequently occurring number. Okay. So I would probably be able to say pretty confidently that the mode amount of arms that a person has is two. Yes. Okay. And the median is the middle number. You line them all up in order, and then you just grab the one in the middle. Once again, I believe that's two. I would think so, too. But the mean, you add up all of the numbers and divide by the amount of numbers. Because there are 240,000 people on Earth that are missing an arm, I would be willing to say that you have an above-average amount of arms. (laughs) That feels like the uh, people who try to make, like, the most average person in the world. Yes. And when they mean average, they mean mean average. So it's like they have 1.7 arms. They have (laughs) 2.3 kids. Yep. But I have a relatively short topic to talk about, um, which is something that, honestly, I think about almost all the time when I'm meeting someone new and even a lot when I'm talking to someone I already know. Okay. Which is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, the Dunning-Kruger effect, I'll describe it a little more detail, but the definition of it is the false confidence someone gets over a subject as soon as they start learning about a new subject. Mm-hmm. This is a psychological, a, a psychology mm-hmm. phenomenon. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but um, a lot of people might also refer to this as being on the peak of Mount Stupid, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Also because the Dunning-Kruger effect, if you Google it, uh, you'll get pictures of a graph, mm-hmm. which I will describe for our listeners. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, this graph, uh, as you go to the right, it is the amount of knowledge you have on a subject. Mm-hmm. As you go up, it is how confident are you? Okay. So you start going down the line of getting more knowledge about something and you shoot up rapidly in your confidence. Mm-hmm. If I have no idea what uh, pickles are, I don't know. <laughs> We're going with it. You'd be in a predicament. You would be in a predicament. But as soon as you like learn of a pickle, your confidence shoots up because it was zero. You're like, mm-hmm. I can't talk about pickles because I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. And now you're like, oh, I know what a pickle is. <laughs> I can tell you what a pickle is. Mm-hmm. You might be on the peak of Mount Stupid. It is called the peak because as soon as you gain more knowledge about a subject, 
your confidence level on average will go back down. You start learning so much of a certain subject that you're like, you know, I don't think I understood pickles as well as I believed I did. Mm -hmm. And you start learning more and more and more. And eventually you get to uh, the Valley of Despair is what it's (laughs) called. Also, these are like the terms that are used in psychology. Nice. In the Dunning-Kruger effect. Nice. It's where you're like, I, all I know is that I know nothing. Mm. Thank you, Socrates. Okay. Yep, a classic saying. Um, you then reach the slope of enlightenment. <laughs> As you go beyond your valley of despair, you're like, I need to know enough so I can be confident in talking about pickles again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start getting more and more confident. Mm-hmm. And lastly, you reach the plateau of sustainability. Uh. You... you you can get more knowledge about the subject, but it's never going to change the fact that you're like, yeah, I could talk to you about pickles for like hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something I keep in mind a lot when I'm listening to people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. If they come up to me and start talking about something they know about, one of my first instincts is like, how much do you actually know about this subject? Mm-hmm. Or do you just know a tiny bit and you're like, ah, I'm an expert. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, makes me more interested in people who come up and are like, you know, I don't really know much about this subject. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you might be in the valley of despair, mm-hmm. which means you actually have more knowledge than a lot of people. Yeah. That's very interesting. I, it reminds me of, so in, in studying music, um, there's a very similar thing. I think of specifically guitar. It's a very casual instrument to learn. Okay. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are like, that seems like an easy beginner's instrument. And it can be. For a lot of people, it's it's a very accessible instrument. Mm-hmm. And so they start to learn it and they they take lessons for like a month or two and they've learned six chords and they can play two billion songs because yeah, that's how that's guitars all you work. need. Yeah. And so they're like, dude, I, I can do everything. And then they continue studying guitar. And all of a sudden they're like, I know nothing. There's modes, there's scales, uh, there's music theory that I don't even like begin to comprehend. There's how to change keys. There's different techniques I haven't even thought about learning yet. Yeah. And then they're they're just like, where do I even begin? Yeah. You're like, there's too much. Mm-hmm. I I all I know is that I know nothing. Mm-hmm. I feel it, yeah. That's the cool thing about the Dunning Kruger effect is that a lot of people have probably been through this journey mm-hmm. in many different things. I certainly went through it and go through it a lot in different physics subjects. Yeah. I learn something new and I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. And then I go and tell people about it. And mm-hmm. then I get into like a 400 level class about it. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's cool. I don't, need, <laughs> I, I don't know what quantum mechanics is anymore. I thought I did. Uh-huh. Um, but it happens in music. It happens in pretty much anything you can study and gain knowledge about. Mm-hmm. Um, the shape of the curve will change a little bit yeah. depending on, the person, you know, the subject, their exactly. circumstances. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I encourage our listeners to be on the lookout for people who might be on the peak of Mount Stewart. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I just love saying it like, <laughs> ah, yes, this psychology um, effect that uh, is called the peak of Mount Stupid. <laughs> and that's the valley of despair. Like, they, yep. They were very extra yes. uh, with their They did not naming. need to name it like that. No. But I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did too. Sometimes I've gotten so low in the Dunning-Kruger effect that I felt like, I'm like, this is, I'm I'm despairing. Yep. Oh, yeah. I definitely felt like that in guitar because I was like, I want to start learning like how to play jazz music. 
and I just like looked at some stuff online and I was like I'm I'm never touching a guitar again. I was yeah. like I don't even know like what to do next. What are you guys even talking about? <laughs> yeah. But I mean now I'm no I'm no master by any means, but I can talk about it for hours. Yeah. And so some some games, board games or otherwise, you can go through a similar journey of like you mm-hmm. find a new game. It's got it's usually got to be a some sort of complicated game. Mhm. You figure out how to play it finally and you're like wow this is awesome and you go and tell your friends like i've told my girlfriend many times about a new game i start playing and i'm like this is so cool and mm-hmm. then i play it for a little bit longer and i'm like oh <laughs> i have no idea how to actually make a good strategy mm-hmm. i'm i'm terrible at this game i shouldn't <laughs> be able to talk about it <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you find like the masters of any subject who yeah. are on the plateau of sustainability mm-hmm. and they're like yeah i can talk about it and you're like, shouldn't you be like crazy more confident because the amount of stuff you know? And you're like, no, everyone reaches a limit mm-hmm. of confidence. Mm-hmm. But that is that is all I had to say about this interesting subject. I that think. was very interesting. I liked that a lot. I think I can think of a lot of examples in my life of going through that. Yeah, it's quite the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Literally. <laughs> yes. All right, guys. Well, Isaac and I are getting close to the end of our big marathon. And by close, I mean we still have a few more episodes to record. But <laughs> we avoided the rain in our beach episode, which was nice. It rained while mm-hmm. we were recording. I don't know if you noticed. I did not. Yeah. Um, with that, we're going to wrap it up here. So we'll see you next time. See ya. <laughs>